Are you ready for the word? Yes. Got to tell you some stories first. <laughs> Boy, one of the things, you know, this in speaking with, uh, I made a, a phone call day before yesterday because I needed to get some dirt, some special dirt for making those gardens that are above the raised gardens, raised, raised, I think they call it. And so I made a phone call and I was talking to uh, a gentleman uh, from uh, Victory Greens over there and I called and I was talking to him and, and uh, man, he's a believer. He's an awesome believer. And I was just, you know, we were, we were talking and he, he told me how busy he was, but he wanted to talk about the Lord anyway. So that's awesome. That's always a great sign. Really busy, but wanted to talk about the Lord. And he says, man, Pastor, Pastor, he said, it, it, it's just been amazing. He said, I, I don't, I really don't wish bad on anybody, but this whole COVID thing has been an incredible blessing to me. He said, I am busier at this time of year than I've ever been. And Rich Oliver called me yesterday from, from Lowe's. He just had a question for me, and he said, Oh, my goodness, I've never been in here and seen it busier than it is right now. It's like, you know, there's a blessing in every trial, it seems. Sometimes we just have to look, at, look for it to be able to receive that blessing and come before him with an attitude of gratitude, just thanking him for every situation that we find ourselves in. Because guaranteed, there's a silver lining in there from, for us somewhere. I remember when I was probably about 13, 14 years old, probably too cool to go with my parents floating down the river anymore, maybe. Not sure why I wasn't there for this, this happening, but my mom, dad, sister, and I suppose my brother were floating down the Boise River on inner tubes. Back in the day, everybody just did it with inner tubes then. I don't, I don't even know how they do it now. I haven't done it for over 50 years, probably. It's been a long time since I've been down that, down that river. But as they, as they floated down the river, they came to this like little, little waterfall, kind of a small waterfall that was there in the, in the path that they took, where they, where they came down from. And, and when they hit that waterfall, my mom's tube flipped. And when the tube flipped, she lost the tube, it was, it, it was gone, she didn't know where it went. The, it, it came, and the water came over, it hit her, was hitting her in the head and the face, and she got all confused and, and, and dazed and thought she was drowning. My dad had to grab her to drag her out of that little, little whatever you would call it, where, where, the, where it comes down and creates a little bit of a backflow or whatever you call that. So she thought for sure she was drowning, my dad rescued her dragged her out of there and and my little sister at that time I think had to be between five and six years old and she was talking to the neighbor she was telling the neighbor what a tragic event had taken place and how my mother had almost drowned and the neighbor was just was was listening and as she described it my little sister described this event and what happened she says well doesn't your mother know how to swim she said, yeah, but that was over her head. <laughs> you know, yeah, she knows how to swim, but that was over her head. You know, I, I was just thinking about that. I, I, that story came back to me, and, and I thought, you know, how funny, how humorous that, that that is. But I was thinking about the reality to that. It's like my mom swam some, 
you know, casually for exercise, for entertainment, for, for whatever you call it when you go to the swimming pool. And that's where she learned to swim, was in a swimming pool. That's where she expected to be doing her swimming, was in a swimming pool, where she learned, and, and where you know the boundaries, you know how deep it is, you jump in, you can push off the bottom and come back up, and then you can see pretty easy, and you know how many strokes it is to get back to the, you know, back to the other side. It's, there's, it's like, we know the boundaries, we have an understanding when we go into the pool. So you can go into the pool many times and you can jump in and swim to the side, bounce back up off the bottom. See, you see, that was her expectation in the water. She never knew that she might have to use what she had learned in the swimming pool to end up saving her life. Well, got a different mic this morning. I have to get used to this thing. She didn't realize that, that, that what she had practiced, what she had learned in that swimming pool might someday end up saving her life. Like, hmm. The safety of the swimming pool, we could call it. She says, doesn't your mother know how to swim? Yeah, but that was over her head. She wasn't expecting that to lose her tube. She wasn't expecting to be tumbled around under that, that, that little bit of... Uh, Little, little waterfall, that turbulence, that's the word that I'm looking for, that turbulence. She wasn't really expecting that. that that's not what swimming meant in her head, in her mind. Even in my, in my little sisters, the same thing. Swimming was in a swimming pool in a controlled environment where you knew what to expect. Are you with me? But you get out, start floating down that river, there are some things, there are some turbulence, there are some definite unexpected events that can occur. Your tube gets knocked out from under you, and you better know how to swim. So I was thinking, then I started thinking about some Bible verses and a couple Bible stories. And one, how Jesus really started teaching his disciples. I am always just mesmerized and blown away as we just learn more and more about Jesus, even just by reading the four Gospels. Studying the Gospels, reading the Gospels and reading them over again and, and over again. It's like, oh, this is amazing. The story the first time that the disciples were in a boat with Jesus, they were going across and the wind came up and the waves came up and it started really rocking the boat. And Jesus was asleep in the boat, but he was in the boat. I should, have a, I should you, give you the scripture for that. We could go there, but I think everyone's heard that story enough times that we probably don't need to go there. Right? Anybody unfamiliar with that passage? Nobody would raise their hand anyway, of course, but... Uh, it's like, God, I'm no dummy, of course I know that. Jesus was going across with his disciples. The wind came up, the wind started blowing. It was very uh, a tempest, uh, and, and, and the waves were blowing over the boat. And Jesus was at peace. He was asleep in the front of the boat. The disciples that came and they woke him up and said, Don't you care that we perish? Don't you even care? And he's just like, Oh my goodness, you guys. And then he just spoke to the storm, and it's so funny listening to, uh, to Tim up here. Some of the things that he was saying, what the Lord was how directing him this morning even, it's like, peace be still. And what did Jesus say? Peace be still. And then the, the disciples said among themselves, like, who is this man that can speak to the storms and the storms stop? Who is this man? 
Let's say, well, who is this man? It's Jesus. Who is this man? That was the first question. Who is this man? They asked. Oh, it was Jesus. And this is some of what he was teaching. And I just want you to, to think about this, just to ponder this for a little bit. He was on the boat. He was in their presence. He was with them. He was just sleeping, but he was with them. Are you with me? Jesus was with them on that boat. He was sleeping, calm, at peace. And that's what he spoke to the storm first. Peace be still. But he was speaking also to these guys. You know what? Calm down, trust, believe, have a little bit of faith. I'm with you right here, so it's going to be fine. Now, we'll move into the next, into the next section. Jesus is there crossing of the river again. Uh, the river, not the river. Crossing over to Capernaum again. And as they're crossing this time, Jesus had loaded them in the boat and said, You guys go. I'll meet you over there. I will meet you on the other side. You guys go. But he knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. He was up on the, on the hillside praying to his father, taking a little time, a little father-son time right there, praying to the father. And, and he realized because he was always with them, he was seeing them even when he wasn't with them, right? Maybe we should go to this passage I handed my, <laughs> yeah, this is really different being back here live, for sure. <laughs> I handed my, uh, my main sheet off up there to, uh, to, uh, to go up there, so I'm scrambling just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that would help. Thanks, Randy. I knew we were going to have fun today. Okay, the first one was Matthew 8, 27. The second one's going to be Matthew 14, 22. Matthew 14, 22. So if we get Matthew 14, 22 up there, I don't know if you have those up there, Linda, still now, but Matthew 14, I, I want to read this together. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. They'd been ministering. He made them get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening had come, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch, which is, uh, this is like the wee hours, three, four o'clock in the morning, uh, the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So he knew they were in trouble, so he took a little stroll across the sea, walking out there. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Now, the last time he was in the boat with them, this time he was watching over them from a distance while he was in prayer with the Father. Okay? They cried out for fear once again, but immediately Jesus spoke to him, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him right back and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, Come. 
And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Man, when he had his eyes on Jesus, he had no problem. That is Jesus jumping out of the boat, taking a stroll across the water. He had the faith for that to get it started. But when the waves started coming and the wind was boisterous, he got fearful and started to sink. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Like, why did your faith falter right there? You started out so good. But... And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, What did they say the first time? Who is this guy that can speak to the wind and the waves? What did they say the second time? Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They were learning, right? Hands-on experience, <laughs> on-the-job experience. Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to take you to, you know, it, it, to me, again, I say that, that the Gospels, there's, I, I love the Gospels because we end up learning so much about both the disciples and about serving Jesus, but we learn so much about Jesus as well. But right here, we're going to read the same story in John, John 6, uh, 16 to 21, I think we'll read the whole story. John 6, verses 16 through 21. Now, from John's perspective, I think he maybe was a little bit more of a results-oriented guy. Matthew wrote it, and he wrote all of the details, what was, what was important to him. Okay, John, he wrote what was important to him. Chapter 6, beginning with 16. And when evening came, no, we'll go with 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come, they wanted to come and they wanted to make him king, he departed to go up to the mountain by himself. And when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark. Not, uh, not the fourth watch. He doesn't go into all of that kind of detail. Said, you know, it's dark. They got in the boat. Jesus was up on the mountain praying. Uh, they're, they're, they're crossing over the sea. Then, now it was dark and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they were just about out in the middle Jesus, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. And talk about ghosts or any of this stuff. Just He saw him walking. They were afraid. But he said to him, It's I. Do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. But listen to this part. And immediately the boat was at land where they were going. Yeah, think about that just for a second. It's like, what did John see? He saw Jesus get into the boat. When Jesus got in the boat, immediately they were at their destination. The other side, all of a sudden, they were translated, transported. They went from the middle 
to the other side just like that. From, from John's experience in what he saw. And well, now we look at these Gospels and go, what in the world? What? Huh. Now, I think we can take these two stories, kind of put them together, and, and see a little more of the story. What did they do? What did Matthew say that they did? When Jesus got in the boat, the storm calmed. He got in the boat. The storm calmed. They began to worship him. In the worship experience, in the worship experience, boom, they ended up on the shore on the other side. They experienced a miracle during worship. Wouldn't you say? Does that not make sense? We put these two together. I mean, I, I am absolutely sure that they were as true as true could be to each of these guys, both very significant inner circle kind of people, Matthew, John. It's like, all right. Jesus got up into the boat. They started to worship him. And instantly, as they worshiped him, troubles over, problem solved on the other side. That's awesome, isn't it? Just to think. We, one of the songs, as we're listening and, and doing these worship songs, you know, uh, heaven has a plan for me. So worship is uh, the weapon. Worship, the, the weapon of worship, the weapon of worship. You know, we can defeat the enemy by our worship and experience, and experience something amazing, something incredible, and experience the supernatural through and during our worship, problems can be solved. Then, the next place I want to go is Matthew 28, 20. Matthew 28, 20. Bible run through. Everybody there? I didn't hear very many pages turning. This is where, as Jesus had been teaching them, <clears throat> he taught them he was in the boat when his presence was there. They didn't need to worry because he was in the boat first round. He taught them the second time that he was looking over them. They were called, they had a purpose for their life, so he was looking and watching over them, and when they called in a time of distress, he showed up, they could count on him, right? And then when they worshipped him, problem solved, right? Everybody's tracking with me. Okay, in verse 20, Matthew 28 and 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, this is something that he's sharing with the disciples after his resurrection. This is the resurrected Jesus. And he says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Seems like here's step one, two, three, four. So, even more things that Tim, Christy, had said when they were up there. He's with you always. 
the way Tim was even describing that as he was talking about, I don't want him to be behind me. I, I want him to be all around me. I want to be following him wherever he's going. He just says right here very clearly, Lo, I am, behold, I am with you always. I'm with you. Everybody say, he's with me. Yeah, he is. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. We're going to look one more passage. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Jesus. You know, we've... Who, the, the, the first two times that they're out in the boat, these, these incredible experiences where their teaching got stretched. We're going to call it stretch. This is like going from the swimming pool to falling off the tube in the river to the boat ride across troubled seas. Their faith starts getting stretched. And what they're being taught has to be, <laughs> has to be put to action in knowing, understanding, and believing who Jesus really is. Who is he? So we get here to this part, and, and, and he's talking with his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? And they can't. Well, we'll, we'll just go ahead and start with uh, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14. So they say, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? Now they've been with him all this time so far, and he wants to know who do you see me as now? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Well, we know the rest of the story right there. But I think as we get to this point, sometimes we go through life and the situation is not like the swimming pool. It's not like what we're taught. It's one thing to show up in church and talk about faith and talk about Jesus and how He loves us and how we love Him and how we can count on Him and then end up then life ends up knocking you off the tube and you end up scrambling like crazy to try to get your breath. And it's like, who is Jesus to you now? It's like, I just think we just take, in fact, I, I feel like right now we just, just take a minute and just close your eyes and just ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you right now? How do you see Jesus? How does he see you? Who is Jesus to you right now? Who do you say that he is in your life? Jesus to you. I thank you, Jesus, for showing yourself, for showing us who you are, for showing us how you see us right now. How do you think Jesus sees you right now? Let's close your eyes again. And as you've, you know, kind of, kind of did a little bit of a heart search and who Jesus is to you right now, how do you believe that he sees you right now? How did he see you? Are you pleased with what he sees right now? 
I heard a couple of amens and about four heads shake. It's like, yes, yes. I am pleased with what I know he sees right now. A bunch of yeses, yeah? Clean hands and a pure heart before the Lord right now? Yes, amen, amen. That's, um, there, I remember, another story right here. I remember in the fifth grade, the first four years of my schooling I went to, there, was, there were two grade schools in Caldwell back then. There was Lincoln and there was Van Buren. And uh, I, I ended up at Van Buren for the first four years. A lot of the other kids, you know, same age, went four years to Lincoln. Then in the fifth grade, we all came together, and it was at Washington School. So there's a whole bunch. It's like double the number of people that were in my grade before. You know, it's like, wow, a whole bunch of new people. And in that fifth grade, you're like 10, turn 11 years old, somewhere in that 10 to 11 in, in the fifth grade. And, and it's where boys and girls start noticing each other a little bit. <laughs> kind of switches from, oh, uh, to, uh-huh, well, maybe. <laughs> and I remember how it worked. I can still remember some of the notes uh, where, <laughs> what'd you say, Pastor? <laughs> oh, oh. That because there's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of new people, you know, it's like, wow, this is this is really interesting. This is this is really cool. And hand, having some notes handed to me, and I didn't hand any notes out. I want you to know. <laughs> I just got to read them. It's like this is from Lindsay, handed to me by Lindsay's friend, and says, "Do you like me? Check yes or no." It's like, <laughs> like. <laughs> got just a few of those notes because it was a whole bunch of new people coming together you know there's some new fish in the pond right here it's like I personally was not overly excited for that yet but uh, there was a lot of other things that I was more interested in at that time and for a while thereafter but uh, it changed <laughs> we did celebrate recovery here for our Pastor Renee and I for, I don't know, four or five years, something like that, five, six years. And, and one of the things that I really learned to understand about, about people that were coming to the Lord, that came with addictions, that came with hurts and habits and hang-ups, is worthiness issues. It's like, yeah but, yeah, but you don't understand, Lynn. You don't know what all I did. I'm not sure that I really am qualified. I'm not sure that I can receive his love because I, 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 I don't know. You don't, you don't understand. It's like it, even people that thought that they had to get good enough first before they could get baptized. I mean, we saw a lot of that. It's like, no, I can't get baptized yet. I'm not good enough for that yet. I got so much more I need to clean up first before I can get baptized. It's like, no, no, no. See, the, the, the good news is, he first loved us. You know, when we're, when we're teenagers and even into young adulthood, we're, we're insecure enough, and this part I did fit into. It's like, I wanted to wait for somebody to tell me first, I love you, Lynn. It's like, okay, well, I love you too then. But not until somebody told me they loved me would I share first that I loved them. 
Are you? It's like, that's just some of that, some, a little bit of that, that, that insecurity. It's like, I'm not going to pour myself out first because I don't want to get that rejection. I don't want somebody to say, you know, I don't want somebody to check no. You know, yes, no. I get, get the no, no card back. Like, oh, no, oh, crushed. That's probably why I never handed any of those out. Um, okay, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. It's like, he's already checked. Yes, 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 I love you, son. Yes, I love you, daughter. Yes. Then Romans 8.35. Romans 8.35, I, just, I, I want to give you another level. What can separate you from God's love? So he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for us while we were still in sin so we could be saved, delivered, and plucked out of that sin, put in right standing Father God. Who shall separate us, uh, starting with 35, Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet... Verse 37, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. But here's the really important part, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the love of God came to the world through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So how did God love us? He loved us enough to give us his son. We are loved through Jesus Christ. It's really clear right here, isn't it? From the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom he gave us for redemption, for the forgiveness of our sins. John 14, 21. And what did we do to, de what did we do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But believe on that sacrifice that Jesus did die for us for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life okay if you will turn with me to John 14 21 John 14, 21. 
Have I said that enough times? I say it about two more times and I'll have it found. John 14 and 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I want to tell another little story. The first time I had an opportunity to speak in a in a wedding was at my son Cody, the one who my second second son down, the one who's uh, now passed away. But I got to speak in his wedding for a little bit. I didn't perform the ceremony, but got to speak in his wedding. He was, I think. 19 and his wife 18 at the time. Is that right? Yep. And I, I remember quoting one thing and talking to those kids and saying, you know, Cody, it is important. The scripture says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and was willing to die for her. Husbands, love your wife as Christ, Jesus Christ, loved the church and was willing to die. And Jesus did die for the church, for the salvation of the people, for the salvation of creation. God's loved creation, Jesus died for. Say, Cody, love your wife as Christ loved the church and was willing to... Christy, that's who he was married to at the time. Different Christy. Christy Joe. Christy Joe, it's your job first to be lovable. Receive the love of your husband. In order to receive the love of your husband, you have to understand how much he loves you. Make yourself vulnerable to be able to receive that love and reciprocate that love back. And part of that is through obedience because a husband is to be the head of the household. Now, for the husband to be able to effectively be the head of the household and the wife to be able to love the husband like we have just described in this kind of relationship, it has to be a kind of love that the husband has for the wife that is as Jesus Christ had for the church and was willing to just give up his life to sacrifice for his wife. Then it's really easy for her to honor, respect, and love her husband back. Are you following me? And see, this is the <laughs> and this is the relationship. What do we have to do to earn the love of Jesus? We have to do nothing. We have to do nothing. But what is the expectation when the crea- when the relationship has been created and we have received his love? You know, we have to think highly enough of ourselves to be able to receive his love. Does this make sense? You know, you can, you can reject a person's love just by being undeserving in your own heart and your own mind. I don't, I don't deserve that. I'm not worthy of that. So I can... I'll, I'll share another personal story. The Lord ended up... I, I had a, a time in my life that I felt... A rough, I just call it a rough patch out there in the middle with the waves going and all. And I, and, I, and I did not feel worthy. I was a bench warmer for a long time because I did not feel worthy myself. And I ended up hearing the one, the one time, the, well, the one and a half time, maybe two times that I've heard the audible voice of the Lord speak to me saying, waking me up 
with an audible voice saying, I'm looking for willing, not worthy, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm looking for willing, not worthy, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, get off your bench and get to doing something. So, get off the bench. Get off the bench. So, we have to deem ourselves worthy and not any kind of a false pride thing that keeps us from receiving the love of Christ, for receiving Him into our hearts and lives, but a real humble and genuine acceptance of His love. Knowing that each of us are worthy because He created us with a plan and a purpose for our lives. You are worthy. Turn to your neighbor and say, You are worthy. And He loves you. Now receive it. Now, like the bride does, like I said, if a husband loves her wife as Christ loved the church, of course she's going to respond by wanting to please her husband. Yeah? I would expect a little bit more from women right here now, right? It's like, all right. So Jesus said, those who love me, those who have my commandments and keep them, it's he who loves me and he loves me and he will be loved by me and be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. So it is a love and be loved relationship. We first have to receive his love, his fullness, his goodness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. When we receive his love, that's what we get to experience. His righteousness, his peace, his joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Drunk in the Holy Spirit. Ah, John fourteen twenty seven. Now we're gonna gonna back to twenty six. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all the things that I said. You know what? Jesus makes this really clear. We can go back and, and, and follow and track what he's teaching about the Holy Spirit. Now, God loved us, loved the world through Jesus, right? He sent Jesus to love us, to die for us. Okay, Jesus says, I must go, that he will come, he will comfort you, he will say the things to you, that he's heard from me. He will do the things for you. You will be empowered from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because Jesus says, I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father and I'm going to intercede for you. So we still can pray to Jesus. He is our intercessor. He's in our corner. He loves us. And he sent somebody to comfort us, to love on us, to be around us right here. The Holy Spirit. Right? 
God loved the earth through Jesus. Jesus has sent us a comforter. Someone as well. Is this making sense to everybody? Now, when Tim was saying up here, he's saying, God, I, I, I want you all around me. I want you all. Jesus says, lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age, through the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's who sent. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So we're being loved on through Jesus, through the, down, surrounded by the Holy Spirit who is in us, who is around us. Say, so, you know, one of the big mysteries to me still, and I think that's going to be one of the mysteries that we're going to wait till we get to heaven to end up getting the answers to. And it's like, okay. And I've asked him, and I've talked to him about this, and I still don't have good clarity. I don't think anybody really does. It's like, how and why is it that when we come together sometimes, this is not always, I can sit in my, I can sit in my chair at home and call on Holy Spirit. I can talk to the Father. I can talk to Jesus. I can say, Holy Spirit, come and just be overwhelmed with His presence just right there in my chair. Be, be glued to it. Just be, uh, you know, with drool coming out the side of my mouth and, and all. But when we get in a, in a worship, when there's a corporate worship environment like this, and, and we're all worshiping, the presence of God comes just so quickly and sometimes it sometimes it's so heavy you you could just like whoa man it's heavy 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 it's thick 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 and other times not so much you know what i'm talking about everybody knows what what what, what i'm talking about so i don't completely understand that yet so i wish i had a really good answer for you here but the more time that we spend in his presence and in his word the more accessible and the more powerful in my experience that that just continues to get her yeah yeah so it's about developing the relationship it's about furthering coming closer and closer and closer so it's become so easy to hear that still small voice that little that little whisper gets really easy to hear because the relationship has just gotten so close it's like oh and the presence to get to get that that arm wrap that that hug from the holy spirit hug it's just like oh oh i really believe this morning that we can do I'm just going to call this an exercise that will be an incredible blessing to each one of us. And I, I really just, this, I'm just going to call this an experiment, a holy experiment here, just in a little bit. But let's go to uh, John 20, 'm you know, when Jesus appeared to the disciples over and over again the, the, the several times that, that, that he appeared after his resurrection almost every time it was peace be with you my peace I give to you peace 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 that's what he was speaking peace so um, we're going to start with verse 19 20 and 19 
And the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, it's like the doors were locked, the doors was closed. He appears to them and says, peace be with you. It's like, yeah, I'm sure that they experienced that incredible peace right off the bat. Like, how did he get in here? How did he, how, how did he get in here? But now when he, and this would happen to be Easter Sunday. Now when he had said this, he showed him his hands, showed him his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to him again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. You know what? I want to, I want to read this out of the Passion Translation. I am really, really enjoying more and more this Passion Translation. It's like, wow. Out of the Passion Translation. That evening, the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they'd locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. And he told them, Just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then... Taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, in the garden, when God created Adam, he blew life into his nostrils. I believe when Jesus met with the disciples in the upper room after his resurrection, the resurrected Jesus took a deep breath and... Blew into the faces of the disciples. I'm imagining each one individually blew into their face and blew resurrected life, Holy Spirit life into his disciples. I think that that represents, when I think of baptism in Acts 2.38, and it says, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive... We're buried with Christ in baptism, resurrected with him to walk in newness of life, and you shall receive that promised gift. I believe that that's like, like Jesus blowing into the face, into the, into the mouth and into the nostrils and taking it in. My peace, my peace, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy. So we can have that peace any time we want it. Probably the last three years, what God has been, he just really directed me. Holy Spirit has directed me. is like, speak peace. Ask Holy Spirit to come and bring peace over the people. Ask Holy Spirit to come and bring peace over the people. It's like, okay. Even though he's in us, even though he's with us, he is around us as well. And I believe his power and his potence, potency gets even stronger sometimes. When we call, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I'll be in the midst of them. 
So I, let's stand together this morning. You know, we're, we've gone through a, a time unprecedented in the history of the United States where there's been lockdown, shutdown, crazy anxiety that's been created by this, uncertainty, uh, fear, tremendous fear. There's, there's not only fear of the virus, but there's, you start listening to all of the conspiracy talk, there's even greater fear for what's, what's happening. And personally, I'm one of those that has a much greater fear, a greater concern of what's happening than I am of the virus. So I, I'm in that, in that group. But because I trust and I believe there's someone that I definitely put my faith in, that I definitely put my trust in, and believe that we will overcome through Jesus Christ both this virus and what looks like impending doom on America. It's like baloney baloney. God's the one who's in control, but there's an expectation that he has from his people. There's an expectation that he has from people that we will follow his commands, his commandment, his lead. We will be led by that Holy Spirit, and when he directs us that there's something or somewhere that we need to do, there's a stand that we need to take, something that we need to stay, that we will take that stand and speak those words or take that action. Yes. Now we just I, I believe that since he is in us, since he is around us, and since we've felt his presence here in a powerful way this morning, that we can receive a big dose of peace before we leave here this morning. Would you like to just take a big dose of peace before you leave this morning? All right. Then we're going to do this two ways. We're going to say, imagine first, just see, not just imagine, see in your mind's eye we can say in your spirit, in your mind's eye, how you wanna, however you want to verbalize this, that we could just see Jesus blowing into your face, into your nostrils. You can open your mouth. But that we first would exhale, and I would say we exhale fear first. That we just exhale fear, eyes closed, hands out, and that we inhale the breath, of Jesus and we just take in Holy Spirit we're inhaling peace right now just taking in the peace of Jesus so together everybody take a deep breath and then we're gonna do a big cleansing exhale and that exhale is gonna be fear are you ready <sighs> inhale Peace of the Holy Spirit. Deep breath, deep breath. Exhale anxiety. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Fill your people. Now, take him in again. Breathe in the presence of God. The peace of God. 
Now, uncertainty. We just breathe out uncertainty. <sighs> Cleansing breath. Breathe in that peace, 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 righteousness, peace, and joy, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not about meat or drink. It's taking in His righteousness, His peace, His joy. Deep breath. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I say flood this place. Fill your people. Fill your people this morning. Peace, peace, peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. Receive my peace. Reject fear. And that peace of God that passes all understanding, that peace of God that passes all understanding will settle in your mind, will settle in your spirit, will settle in your body. Anxiety be gone. Tension be gone. Peace, peace, peace. Peace like a river. Flood your soul right now. Let peace like a river just flood your soul. Receive it. Receive it. Receive what He has for you this morning. One more big exhale. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If anybody here this morning has never received Jesus, has never asked Jesus to come in and be Lord and Savior of your life, I just think this is a great opportunity for a reset for all of us. Let's just pray together. Say, Jesus, I turn my life to you. I ask you to come, fill me, lead me, guide me, forgive all my sins. I want to walk in a new life led by your Spirit directed by you, directed by you. And, blessed by you. and blessed by you. I thank you, I, thank you. I, praise you. I praise you, and I receive everything you have for me this day. This day. In Jesus' name, In Jesus name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Just receive His peace. Walk in it, wallow in it, and share it with your neighbor. God bless you.